You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Ellie Fox and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. Cool. Okay, Fab. So if we could just start with everyone introducing themselves. So Kate, if we go to you first. Hi, yes. Um, my name's Kate Walker. I'm the uh, Suffolk and North East Essex Integrated Care System Digital Programme Director. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, I suppose. A bit about me. I've worked in the NHS now for more than 20 years. I started us off as an information manager back in the day when I had a lot of filing cabinets and a lot of paper to manage. And I um, stood there with frustration talking about databases and with lots of people shaking their heads saying, no, 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 we don't do that. And I felt there was a, probably another way. Um, but yeah, as I said, now I, I lead the Suffolk and North East Essex in a great care system, our digital strategy and programme. And I also support um, the formation of something called the Easter Cord, which is a big collaborative network across the east of England. Perfect. Thank you very much. And over to you, Cara, if you could introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm Kira Moore. Um, I'm the uh, director for MSC Partners, and we act like um, in, an internal consultancy for uh, Mid and South Essex Healthcare Partnership, and I work very closely with Charlotte Williams. Um, my background is probably <clears throat> up to 30 years in health in health and care and um, started off in finance um, and one of my first jobs was uh, counting the money from the car parks at Northwick Park Hospital. So um, moved through lots of different roles, finance, operation management and predominantly change management. So a real, um, a real drive to making things better and supporting better care. So Perfect. And last, last but not least, Charlotte, if we could go over to you. Hi, um, I'm Charlotte Williams. I'm the Chief Strategy and Improvement Officer for Mid and South Essex NHS Foundation Trust. I, um, I've been in NHS for 20 years now, um, various bits of the NHS. Uh, started out as a fast track graduate trainee and did hospital operations for about 10 years. Uh, and then I did a series of sort of accidental opportunities into <laughs> Um, major uh, change, um, research uh, at Academic Health Science Centre and um, came to Essex about nearly five years ago now to uh, support new models of care delivery and and strategy in in Mid and South Essex. So, and I also uh, lead on things like the hosting of the NHS Clinical Entrepreneurship Programme uh, and support improvement uh, innovation um and uh research within our system perfect thank you and i'm going to stick with you charlotte for um the questions so the first question you asked was is there anything about being a female leader you know now which you wish you had known earlier in your career um so if you wanted to give us a little bit of context as where you're coming from with that question and then we'll go around to the panel see what the answers are yeah, yeah, so, so I, I thought it was nice to look back and think about how you've grown, changed your approach. I know I certainly have. I remember somebody saying to me once when I was calling them up when I was at the Central Strategy Unit of NHS England saying, well, you're a strategist, so you would know. And I thought, hang on a minute, how did I end up 
you know, doing this. You know, I always used to think that was fannying around. You know, if you're not pushing a trolley and answering a bleep, then it's not proper management. So I think um, the self-awareness <laughs> uh, is something that's helpful, you know, to have, to reflect on, on what's changed. And I think when I was first starting out, I had a lot of confidence in my ability and what I knew, but I perhaps didn't think so much about how I did it. Um, whereas now I think I think more about how I do things rather than what it is that I'm doing. And I've never thought about how being female really impacted on that. And so I'm interested in others' thoughts, really. Thank you. Kira, what do you, you were nodding your head a little bit there. What do you think? Yeah, just when Charlotte went back to the what what you wish you knew or what you had the confidence for I think probably more and and um I think it's more confidence around asking the stupid questions um so when you're not clinical um and when you're female and you're in a room full of clinicians who are all male sometimes there's a really obvious question going through your head like oh why don't we just do this and you know um and it's just having that confidence to ask that stupid question because someone will immediately go yeah that's exactly what I was thinking it just needs someone to say it in the room and um, and I and often uh we well years ago I guess I was probably more intimidated by um clinicians in because they you know they did all their study and they were very 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 important um but it's that like they are human they 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 breathe they have emotions they have difficult times and they don't have all the answers which I think is what I always thought they would Charlotte so you being asked about what is your strategist it, it's just I guess the reverse so it's just being able to ask that stupid question I think Ellie thank you and Kate you're smiling and nodding a bit there <laughs> I am I was reflecting on my my journey I think I, I explained I started in a world of managing filing cabinets <laughs> and I moved quickly into hang on a minute surely technology can help us and um, uh, my background I'm a statistician so I went in with absolutely no knowledge about the technology and had to consume myself and understand it and learn it and I worked in a very male dominated environment and it was really challenging and I and I found myself, um, I actually, I suppose I got frustrated with various things and I wanted to learn my trade and craft and threw myself into lots of different things to try and challenge the norm and, and, and progress. And at some stage, sort of seven, eight, nine years later, I ended up as a CIO. And I think what I learned, I know, <laughs> and I, I suppose an accidental CIO. Um, but what I found in that moment is I actually kind of changed my authenticity to fit a mould of what I perceived CIOs should be. There weren't any women CIOs, I think there was maybe one in the country at the time, they weren't, they, they just didn't exist. And I moved from being um, sort of an authentic person trying to um, effect change for the good of the people we were serving into somebody trying to fit a mould. And I lost all my ability really to lead in that place and I wish I'd known to stick to my own sense of bravery my own sense of confidence and recognizing having a different perspective was a really good thing however frustrated i was with the whole scenario thanks kate charlotte have you got anything to add to them comments yeah i think it's it's certainly to kira's point it's about when you've done things once or twice you know realizing that you can 
speak from a position of confidence that you've done that successfully once or twice um, and that actually what's the worst that can happen I think often with I do quite a lot of mentoring um, men and women but it tends to be more women who ask actually um, and I think there's that element of actually do I know enough have I done it enough am I going to be credible I hear more often from from women than perhaps I do sometimes from from male colleagues and um, that's sort of yeah probably actually most people you know I've learned in my life a lot of people are just fronting it out <laughs> you know um, and I always worried about how much I knew and if everyone you know if I've got a lot of challenge back how I would respond to that and I think that's because I was brought up and educated in quite a high challenge environment but actually you know most of it is about knowing enough and getting on with people and getting by and actually you know I think women probably once you realize that do that well you know and a lot of leadership is about that so um I'd go back and sort of say like you don't need to know as much about that so everyone thinks you're an expert know enough and then find out you know who you need to get on with and who you need to build relationships with because that's going to be the most important thing and I probably would save myself uh, quite a bit of insecurity and, and and time overdoing it in my early years. I figured that out a bit sooner. Thank you. Uh, what I was going to say as well, if you've got anything to add, if you just want to raise your hand, uh, you know, on the taskbar at the top, just so that we can go to the next person, so people aren't speaking over each other. Uh, Kate, have you got anything else to say on that topic question? Just, I mean, I. I can completely agree with um, Charlotte. Um, I felt very, I, I remember standing in a board, you know, com, uh, uh, you know, trying to secure committed investment, something that we've done all the diligence on and, and you know, somebody threw a curveball at me, uh, you know, highly technical curve, and you feel obligated to go into that detail. And I, I, I knew I had to know that detail, but actually, what I really needed to do is to be able to handle that situation better, which is say, you know, that's a really, really good point. But we we picked that up. Let's get back to the key business rather than getting derailed. And it 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 sort of played to my sense of I felt like I had to be the expert. And you're right, Charlotte. You don't have to know everything. You now have to you have to know how to get hold of people who know more things than you do. But be comfortable with ambiguity. And I think is you know we we're, we're leaders in a digital age, not just technology leaders. And being comfortable with ambiguity in our space is really important. Yeah, thank you. Cara, have you got anything else to say before we move on to the next question? No? Um, so we're going to go over to you with your question. Uh, so you're asking around the f mature female leader and the great resignation. Um, so if we want them to stay and truly value them in tech or other, how can we ensure that they get equal opportunity to training and advancement? So if you want to just elaborate on that a little bit that'd be great sure so it was the great resignation was termed by professor anthony klotz so um and that was following the pandemic you know so the impending phenomenon of the mass resignations when people were going to be asked or told to get back to the office and so he argued that when everyone was be forced back into long commutes and the long days at work that there'd be a mass resignation and it is starting to come and um, we're starting to see people are going actually I, I don't want to do a two-hour drive into work I want to work from home I have more flexibility and um, and so the pandemic has almost shifted our idea of what is the norm and um, and I think um, 
in terms of where the female leader, the older female leader, like myself, um, there it's it's more known now as well that they 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 are looking for uh, more rewarding careers and they they can walk away and we're seeing it a lot in the NHS with our you know with a lot of um, our nurses and senior uh, managers who can retire at 55 you know so we're we're seeing a lot of that walk out um, and so how do we make sure we keep them and uh, offer them career progression and personal development um, because it, it doesn't fly around as much as when I was in my early 30s or 40s and that's just my observation um, but trying to um, because and I'm really conscious with my own team that I'm not just signposting the younger um, part of my workforce towards um, skills and development but I do think there's something around um, the older female leader I mean I can go into a lot of things so there's the progression career development, making sure we're not overlooking them for progression so that they don't leave. And um, there's also menopause, which throws a lot in on top of us as well. Um, and recent um, research that I've looked into shows that 57% of employees are saying it's easy to find new jobs in different organisations. So um, we need to make sure that we maintain that workforce, that skill set, that maturity, because with the mature female comes the calmness, comes the the insecurities are not there because you kind of know yourself. Um, so it's just understanding that as a phenomenon. It is, it is over the hill. And I'm definitely seeing it as, you know, I run a female leader network for women over 50 and I'm hearing it constantly. And um, so I just want to hear what um, the panel think of that. Thanks, Kieran. What Charlotte, we go over to you. What are your thoughts? So I think this is a really interesting point, both in terms of the gender issue and the age issue. And you know, we are hugely biased, and the way that our system is set up is, you know, usually skewed, isn't it? It's bright young things. It's kind of aspiring this, that, and the other. Yeah. But actually, the median age of people in the NHS, I think, is over four, is around 40 or so. Six mm. percent are under 25. Um, and also, while the population that we serve in health and health tech is, is an older population by, you know, by virtue of, um, of when people uh, tend to come into contact with services. So it's actually a real competitive advantage to have a workforce that's representative of you know, the service users. So um, so from a sort of commercial and strategic perspective, uh, it's really blind not to be thinking about how we uh, we have that um, intelligence in a workforce. So I think there's a couple of things. One is um, how we um, generally are more open about opportunity and equity and talking about that and staying in. We did um, a workshop yesterday in our organisation around reciprocal mentoring, which is very powerful. And, even Charles, who's leading that, talked about being in the, the ZAUD, which is the zone of uncomfortable debate. Oh. Uh, and I kind of went away going, I want to be in the ZAUD all the time. Because <laughs> that's where the real learning occurs. So how do we say, well, actually, you know, I'm going through menopause or uh, actually I'd like to make adaptations because of, you know, something going on. And we can't afford not to accommodate people's broader lives, you know, in, in the workplace. It's just, you know, 
than sane these days to ignore those sorts of things or or um, persist. So, so I think that there's a general point around that and and being uh, creating the right environment through what we do um, to at least talk about those issues, whether or not we can accommodate people's individual requirements or not. We should at least be uh, making it clear that we should. I think there's also um, one of the things I've benefited from in my career is the opportunity to do several things at once. So to be seconded over here and doing this activity and providing a bit of advice there and a bit of consultancy here. And that's enriched my ability to give to all of those teams I've been part of at the same time. And I think that's something we should be more open to. Uh, we worry about conflicts of interest. We worry mm. about, uh, you know, about um, people uh, uh, having um, not giving the full value of their payroll or whatever it is back to their employer whereas actually i think there is opportunity there to enrich um uh, lives by by doing that whether it's with the commercial sector and the nhs whether it's across different parts of the health and care system uh, you know i've, I've worked in a, in a social enterprise and in a, an academic institution you know these things are all possible if we choose to do them so how can we create opportunities like that which are both flexible time-wise but also kind of flexible in terms of stimulation um, and women are very good at multitasking in my experience so um, and building those relationships very quickly and working horizontally which I think would lend itself well to that. The other thing I think women um, women who are older or have more life experience can do is sponsoring and getting involved in uh, supporting younger uh, females and others as well um, and I know Kira's a big advocate for this, um, absolutely. But, um, you know, that should be something that's properly remunerated in people's you know, kind of tasks and in, in their, the time that they have in their contracts, not something which you kind of do because somebody asks you to and you think it'd be a nice thing to do. How do we actually value that that sponsorship that people with more lived experience can bring? So um, a few ideas from me, but I hope we do manage to retain our, our older people because um, they're such a big part of our service and our experience, as well as obviously having a huge amount of talent. Definitely. Thank you, Charlotte. Kate, over to you. Well, I, was, I wish I said what Charlotte said. <laughs> um, that's, that's, you know, that's, um, that's so important. I suppose the area I was thinking about it when when thinking about, you know, the the Great Resignation is 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 just the, is the entire workforce, if you like. If you if you take the technology, digital data and technology workforce, the pressures on it are staggering. The opportunities working elsewhere can be very highly remunerated, and are few, you know, many and 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 the like. And the technology workforce is 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 emerging and changing, and and how do we retain all of that that knowledge experience etc and I've been looking at it from that angle I guess um, and one of the things that we can't fix I suppose is is changing the way the salaries work in comparison to the commercial industry yes that's not something that's that's within our gift but we can really focus on a value program you know actually recognizing the value people bring to their roles and and really engineering our workforce and our organizational development around their value and the value we as organizations can bring to them that diversity of experience I love Charlotte you know the the fact similar to me I had an opportunity to move around lots of different types of organization to bring a richer picture together which gives me a level of confidence and competence in a, in a range of areas. Why can't we create positive levers that encourage people to do that rather than the barriers? Oh, no, you're taking my best person. 
do you know what? The, 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 you know, that our skills and resources in our public sector are valued and we need to, as I said, as, as organisations and partners of organisations start to create almost employee value programmes, really thinking about the value we can bring to the flexibility, how we can create hybrid teams that appeal more to people's ways of working, how we can make sure people are valued in their roles and, and things like training and education it's 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 traditionally part of a pdp and you know do your statutory and mandatory How, can't we reinforce that positive learning and, and all of those other things to again get so much more value from the people's contribution to what we do thank you kate back to you charlotte yeah uh, just picking up on kate's point i once read a, a book about team working um, and about how in a volatile world you have to have teams of mixed people, so like nodes in a network rather than defined hierarchies because they just don't work, you know, with all the things coming at us in technology, digital, you know, political movement, social media. Um, but that actually, if you're going to send somebody out into a into a team, if there's somebody you can afford to lose, then they're not the right person. So your point about taking my best person, if they're not your best person, then you shouldn't be sending them if you see what I mean so um, I think that's a really really interesting point. Thank you. Kira. have you got anything to add? Well just another fact probably that um, PwC did a golden age index you might be aware of and has shown that embracing that older workforce in in the country alone will boost its GDP by 2.7 trillion so uh, a great a, a great reason to keep investing in in our um more mature workforce who may be feeling a little bit what 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 is left for me to do am i valued and um, and i mean i i feel i'm going to be still working till about 120 because i i think it's maintaining that curiosity and i'm i'm noticing a theme because it feels like i too jumped around few organizations and did research and I you know worked for um a commercial firm as well so it, it's bring so you can move around and and offer that and part of that was that the NHS allowed me to do that and um, so I do think the opportunities are there as long as they're there for the um the mature workforce as well I think um we can we can offer a, a greater opportunity and maintain that workforce so we don't lose them. Thank you. Uh, Kate, Charlotte, have you got anything else to add on that before we move on to the next question? Again, in relation to the older workforce, again, I think we're going to see a massive shift if you if you like. So so that, you know, the the history of, you know, you can retire at 55, but we are all living longer. And actually, as, as organisations and what have you, we need to really create a workplace that values that beyond probably some of the traditional, you know, uh, traditional lines of age, etc. And how do we create a, a more flexible, adaptable workforce? Uh, that, and as I said, I, I think the work we've been trying to do around employee value is is starting to shape that. But we do need to recognise people have different needs in their roles at different times in their lives. Um, and how do we shape our overall strategy to make the most of the amazing workforce that we have and we hope to retain? Thanks, Kate. Charlotte? Yeah, I think, you know, perhaps controversially, I also think that there is an intergenerational element where really older people kind of 
almost do owe it to younger people to create opportunity as well because um it's not equitable the distribution of resources yeah. in our country younger people are struggling to an extent that older people when they were that age didn't have to um and so i think there is something about how do we um take responsibility for the whole of society across the different age brackets and support whether it's through sponsorship whether it's through opportunity whether it's through voluntary activity um to support you know some of that because uh it it, it can feel my um i think uh, a friend of mine's son said it feels like the generation above pulled the ladder up with them effectively uh -huh. and it's not at all obviously it's a combination of political economic and societal changes but um some of the things that unintentionally have resulted in it being very difficult for the for younger uh, generations too so i think there is something around uh, how can we uh, use use that knowledge to support them um and also how we value you know community activity and and working which older people have traditionally done uh to support um their local area or, or broader society um and not lose that um and how that can be a, a fulfilling part of, of people's lives um as even in you know i'm not particularly old but i am quite old uh, i um wish i had more time to contribute in my life you know in my local community um i think that's something we should be encouraging more as well not seen as an older person's um responsibility thank you okay have you got anything to add or kate before we move on no 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 but fantastic points and and uh, yeah, absolutely. If you are a female leader, it's it's almost a duty, I would say, to sponsor and mentor those coming behind and still seek mentorship and and uh, wise words from those who've gone ahead. I think that it's it's using that whole dynamic kind of rope, isn't it? Or ladder, <laughs> Charlotte. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, right, so Charlotte, I'm going to come back to you and then go to Kate, just because I feel like Kate's question follows nicely on from your question. Um, so your second question, what is female leadership in tech and why do we need it? Yeah, so um, sorry, I hogged by having two questions. <laughs> uh, um, I think it's interesting, obviously we're talking about tech as part of, you know, in context um, for this conversation as a context for this conversation is the female leadership different in that world Kate talked about it being you know, traditionally a male-dominated world sometimes again a youth-dominated industry as we've just talked about um and uh you know female leadership being I think in healthcare increasingly accepted as a compassionate and more empathetic and sort of more collaborative style does that still kind of apply when we're talking about tech uh, and um, the specific kind of challenges in that environment? So I'm interested in colleagues' thoughts on that one. Thanks, Charlotte. Kate, I'll go over to you for that. I So I think about this quite deeply, as you can imagine, having worked my way through that kind of industry. Um, I think the importance about diversity in any forms of enabling technology digital and data is absolutely crucial i've worked in teams where um, the team was functioning really really well and working really well and whilst it was working really well it was brilliant and as soon as something that came out of the blue 
their ability as a team to respond to it was really challenged because they couldn't see that other perspective. I've also systematically endeavoured to create really diverse teams with different perspectives and different experiences because whilst it may well be challenging and how do you deliver against those things you you don't end up hitting the target missing the point so for me as we as we move into a more data rich world and we start to move into a world where algorithms inform our actions as we start to move into the importance of diversity of perspective of considering equality equity and ethics within all of that is really really important so women leadership um, leadership with lived experience of circumstances a range of different perspectives are so so important otherwise we do run the risk of developing tech for tech's sake, which is all very exciting, but actually doesn't fundamentally do what our job is to do, which is better serve the people within our communities. So um, for me, female leadership in tech in our world is utterly crucial. But then so is diversity of opinion, experience, et cetera, et cetera, and all of it. How do we encourage that? That's really tough. And that's where, you know, I, I've I've been fortunate enough to have a number of female role models that I re was able to attempt to copy and learn from when I was um, coming through my CIO career. But actually, there's a much more diverse workforce in this space. But how do we make that endemic through each area? Uh, and that's, I think, up to each um, leader to help make sure that that space is there. Thank you, Kate. That was brilliant. Kira, what, what are your thoughts? So, um. I think initially we, we know that there is a problem, don't we, with girls going into STEM. So we, we know and it and we know that girls are really good at maths and science subjects. We know this. Um, and so unless we start targeting schools, et cetera, very early and get people like Charlotte in to go to these schools and go, you can do whatever you like. And Kate, you know, here I'm a C CIO. You, I think they need to see people who are doing the jobs. What I find interesting is that tech is more than just the programming, etc. I think what women um, and female leaders are probably quite good at is articulating what needs to happen. So being in tech doesn't mean you have to be um, fully qualified in, I'm not even going to try mention, you know, all the packages and everything. But what you can do is have a some understanding and then be able to translate that problem so that you can enable good technology. So I think tech um, it, it's so broad a subject, isn't it? And um, so it's just about understanding that you can get into tech if you're interested in technology and innovation and new ways of working. If you've got an idea and a problem and you can go on and be a clinical entrepreneur, for example. But I do think in, in terms that we, we are still stuck a little bit that it's that there's no one who looks like me. And because, you know, Kate, you just said you were in a man's world. Now, ha is is your tech team, is your team now 50-50? I don't know. Is it still predominantly male? And I think we've got to get down to where we encourage girls to stick to STEM and, and keep going and see people like Kate who are CIOs because there's not, Okay, there's not many female CIOs. Um, so it's really important that we share Kate's story and we get it out to the schools and the nursing, you know, the nursing colleges and, and to the doctors as well, because they make great um, 
chief clinical information officers and equally how many female doctors are chief clinical information officers is still seen as boys and their toys and so I think it will change but unless we start putting out pictures and telling stories of people like Kate and it'll be slow coming sorry that's a bit negative (laughs) but you know but to be honest we need to see is people like me is it uh, you know yeah definitely they can see it Charlotte have you got anything to add hi sorry I've got bad network there did you did you come to me yes yes I was just asking if you had anything to add Yes, um, thanks. I Yeah, I, I thought quite a bit about this, about whether or not um, it's one of those things, isn't it, where the female leadership question is, you know, are you drawing attention to difference between genders that doesn't really exist or, you know, does it does it really matter? And does it matter in, in tech or not? And I think colleagues have just articulated some really important issues within that around you know the role modeling about the interest about um actually you know if we fundamentally believe we all have the same capability and capacity um no matter what gender then you know we're structuring things wrong and and tech is still it's got to be femtech hasn't it or whatever it's got to be labeled or something um so so what what is this about for me and i suppose i struggle a little bit with the tech terminology because i think more about it as an enabler of other things um and suppose it's about how do we have enough people who think differently to Kate's point about how we do things differently and then you know, technology is, is is the mechanism by which that is transacted if you said to me so I think it um something about being more about where tech meets people and tech meets the problem tech meets the outcome which is you know is probably more the issue um and having the patient's understanding and the design uh front of mind is entirely consistent with what i think you know women are women are good at and women are are strong on so if it's about tech delivering care you know and people delivering care you swap the words over uh, you know women think that rational technical you know sucking your teeth and going oh love you don't know it's all very difficult isn't it sort of element which persists that men do um you know and to be fair you know it's not long since i was sort of in a conversation with a fellow leader in the nhs who sort of said the whole yeah but we need to have a special technical place for that stuff don't we that's not change that's like technical change um and you know i know what they're getting at but as long as we see it as a separate thing, then that, that's a thing that certain people do uh, and that's not attached to the nice things like you know, the value that it creates and the outcome that it improves. So um, so I think it's more probably says a lot about how we carve out and isolate certain skills and identify them with certain people, which um, doesn't help. So probably more about how we talk about tech as an enabler of those outcomes that we should be doing more of uh, to make people think that's something I, I want to be part of um, rather than the traditional background. So really interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. Uh, Kate, Kira, have you got anything to add 
before we move on to the the final question just briefly so so that point we we really can in in tech really in, embody and encourage um women Europe's um in interest in stem in any way into a range of roles um and and taking it differently so you know traditionally an it service desk is managing a multiplicity of of of, of issues challenges and the like um actually taking a real service approach the understanding of what's going on at the other end does take a, a level of um um, of, of ability to relate, to be able to see things from another perspective, to be able to really look at service. Well, actually, women really good at that. Um, and um, but but drawing it back back down to process, and then applying those skills into different areas, looking it through that lived experience. If we think about our public sector workforce and the volume of women in it service delivery models need to reflect the fact that that person's asking for help and support and actually having that lived experience becomes every uh, you know really important so how do you're right charlotte how do we riddle how do we get away from this tech being a different thing and therefore a man's domain into it's just a set of tools we all use we see incredible women estates leaders where traditionally that was a, a male domain actually how do we bring this into it's not a different thing it's just transformation we are just we're just using a filing cabinet with some keys and some storage this is just a digital version of that you might not yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> and women did all the filing years ago anyway <laughs> where i started <laughs> charlotte do you want to go yeah oh no it's just it triggered for me the um the filing cabinet and the keys. I was recently at a, in a conversation with a nurse leader about the nightmare of the keys on the ward and like who's got the keys and like I just you know the lived experience of that over many years um, came flooding back but it made me think that actually there's so much creativity and working around the shortcomings in our processes that goes on now which most of our workforce is doing. So Kat, your point about you know most of our workforce are women they absolutely are most of the workforce frontline delivering that day-to-day um, -day public facing care definitely women um, are managing those processes with all of the gaps in them at the moment and have the greatest visibility of what those challenges are and um, know what works and what doesn't work every day to get around the problems so that's really not just the gender that's overlooked it's the creativity in problem solving at the moment that we're not tapping into Thanks, Charlotte. Anything else to add, guys, before we move on to the next question? No? Okay, perfect. So leading us nicely on to Kate's question, uh, how do each of us bring authentic leadership to make a difference where it matters most into a world that rewards power? Maybe a confident, yeah, maybe a controversial question, but you know, um, if we think about, as I said, tech leadership in particular, and often, you know, the, the big project, the major change is the thing that gets, you know, the plaudits, the rewards, et cetera, et cetera. And when actually it's um, the quieter things, the smaller things that make a difference, the enabling of um, uh, of basic capability for voluntary sector organisations so that they can support their staff, which happened behind the scenes. It's the it's the breaking down of barriers to bring in, um, as I said, lived experience to the use of and uh, use of technology to make sure that you know uh, we're not widening in the inequalities. How do each of us hold on to the values of making a difference where it matters most in a world that often tends to reward that? sense of um that sense of um 
of power. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Kira, what do you think? Um, so I I think I've been in you know lots of rooms where those who shout the loudest do get the things that they need, um, but we we've got to approach health and care now in a different way because it's a very limited resource, isn't it? What we have and the public pound, etc. To remain authentic, I think you have to keep questioning. Um, I think it's okay now, <laughs> 53, to keep asking the stupid questions, but just just keep just keep asking and seeking to understand what what the problem is and going back and, and checking again. And you know that it it doesn't matter how big a whizzy machine you have, you know that machine that goes ding, unless you've smoothed out those processes, unless you've worked with the people you won't get the engagement in the technology. So you've got to keep authentic. You've got to stay true to why we're all working in the NHS or, or in social care because of the people and um, that we serve and we do serve. Um, and I, I'm just reminded um, while I think of a machine that goes ding of a, a hospital that I worked in that had a very large project. And I remember the, C, the CIO at the time saying, despite the investment, despite X, there were still some people, they were just waiting to resign because they had never logged in to the system. So you won't win everyone, but if you stick to what you believe in and, you know, um, I, I think that will that will help. But it, yeah, um, we've got to remember why we're why we're all working for healthcare. Let's stay authentic to that. Thank you, Charlotte. What do you think? So I I think I've always agreed with that slight kind of um, fortune cookie thing, which is that um, the race is long and it's only with yourself. I really believe that, that, that that's true. And I think I um, long ago abandoned kind of comparing myself to other people because, you know, that madness uh, lies that way. But also because health and care, particularly in this country, is quite a small community. and you see how fickle things are and when the music stops some people are on the right side of power and some people aren't um and there's never a short path to be taken if you pursue power i think you know in the nature of this kind of political system so um so i think for me the authenticity bit is about um just really aligning what you say with what you do and being really clear about what's important to you and the way that you what how you're trying to go about it really um and i think you know we probably infer that most people in the nhs are in the nhs because they agree with what the nhs is trying to do i certainly am um but it really helps to talk about what's important to you quite often so that people can align themselves with or against you and you know you've got the best chance of uh people um people staying with you and uh, you know there is that element of you can only really call yourself a leader if somebody's following you so why follow me you know you gotta make it clear about what the benefits are and most people are using discretionary effort and um extra bits and bobs to do the good stuff that they want to do because they're swamped with the day job so you know really what you're doing is appealing to people's you know uh, uh, motivation so so for me some of that's about um 
being really genuine, being like, you know, vulnerable, being pissed off when stuff goes wrong, being really thrilled with the people when stuff works well um, and not worrying too much about, um, uh, you know, the implications of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time from person. Um, I also think that power is a lot about influence. And so I've always been more interested in what I can influence than the position that I hold in terms of power. So um, there's different ways to support and undermine some of those power structures and and you know more power to those who want to try to do that and just gently disrupt that uh, in the right way um and i look at things like tech and innovation and think that's fantastic because that's like in a way not entirely but it does provide some meritocratic kind of opportunity for people with skills and ideas to come forward um and i think we're quite lucky actually the particularly on the provision side of the NHS, it is it is quite meritocratic in terms of people's delivery is transparent and there's the ability to affect change and see things happen every day. It gets murkier and murkier the further up you get, I think, the further away you get from that. Um, so, uh, you know, so within that context, I, um, I think you know, reward people for what they've done and be really clear about what success looks like. But it's a really fantastic question. Kate. Thank you. I, I, again, I, probably from the direction I've come from and having gone through those power shifts, if you like, in the traditional old IT tech sense and moving into a world of collaboration and partnership and a very, you know, a new type of power, if you like, the power of influence. And um, I, I, I endeavour to bring people together and, and we can spend a long time debating about what we can't agree. But I try really hard to bring us together to discuss what we can agree and what we can all collectively focus on, because that's where the energy goes and making that difference. But not always easy in our world. So maintaining authenticity and a support network to help you do it is really, really key. Yeah. 